do a wedding. I think it's our my first wedding uh, in L.A., yeah. And uh, when we were in Baton Rouge, I used to do weddings like a factory <clears throat> because I was the premarital coordinator. And so I would do like groups of 25 people getting married and then do all their weddings like the following weekends and stuff like that. <clears throat> so this is my first wedding since we've been in L.A. And it was a good time, really beautiful, out in Yukaipa, which was in the middle of nowhere and took me about a day's travel to get there. <laughs> and then it was like freezing cold because it was on this bluff and uh, it was kind of like in between. It looked like it was going to rain. It didn't rain, but the wind was like 40 degrees and cold, but it was a good time. I did a great job in case you were wondering. And uh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I do weddings and bar mitzvahs in case you were wondering. And uh, so anyways, I was, as I was thinking about, <clears throat> As I was thinking about the wedding and things like that, I, I just kind of wanted to do a little, kind of like, before we get into the message, I want to give you a pre-message. That's, and I wanted to give you a message, uh, really not really a pre-message, but just some thoughts on marriage and family, uh, because there's a lot of thoughts out there, and 99% of them are wrong. And I want to give you uh, just some uh, thoughts about what God thinks about marriage and uh, what he, how he planned family. And, and uh, does that sound good? All right, good. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Personally, I would like to do more weddings. Wink, wink, wink. <clears throat> okay, no pressure, but you get the picture. First reason here, okay? It's not good for man to be alone or woman. God said that in the garden. Before there was ever sin, before there was ever anything else going on in the world, God looked at man, realized that animals were not a good fit, and so, um, so man, so God needed to give man a woman, right? And where did he take the woman out of? He took the woman out of the rib to be a helper comparable to him, not out of the foot so he could step on her, not out of the head so she could rule above him, but out of the rib so that man would find a helper comparable to him. It is, while it is okay to be single, God created us first and foremost for relationship and singleness has a place, it has a time, but ultimately it's God, desi- God desires that men and women should not be alone. Got it? No loneliness. And you, when you think about L.A., people I talk to all the time talk about, number one thing you talk about is loneliness, right? It's not good that way. God didn't design us to. He wanted us to be in a relationship. And if God said that about us, why would we think that we know better by being single or being alone or whatever? Now, there's times and seasons of getting engaged and dating and all those kind of things. And you can, you can ask me for advice on that later. But the idea here is that man should not be alone. Woman should not be alone. That there's a natural course of life that man, male and female should get married. The second reason is we are the church. We're the bride of Christ. We will be joined to the bridegroom who is Jesus when he returns. And marriage is an example of this beautiful and amazing relationship that Jesus has between us and the church, us, him and the church. So we want to exemplify, model that here on earth by getting married, by showing it. And as we do that, it brings a hope in us that Jesus is coming back and he's coming back for us. He's not leaving us out there. The bridegroom, the groom doesn't leave the, the wife all ready to go at the altar. That's not a good example of marriage, right? The, just like last night, they came down in a, in a horse and carriage down the thing there. And then the, the groom and the groomsmen all went down there. And then they were waiting for the bride to came, come down with her father. And it was beautiful and touching. And everyone's crying and all this kind of stuff. 
That's the picture that God has for us, is that here is a church. He's waiting for the groom to come and take his bride back with him. Okay, that was the second. Third one, there is a concerted effort by the devil to isolate humanity. Everything is against true biblical marriage. It's too much hassle. There's too much adulting involved. It's not my fault. You know, I, I, I want to love who I want to love. And all these are, ideas are in opposition to God's plan for marriage. And we, the devil knows that if he can get us isolated, it's easier to pick us off. Right, you've seen the the nature videos, you know, the BBC Earth and all those things where, you know, the, they're they're chasing the herd when the wolf is he's not he's not going after the center of the herd. He's waiting for that one weak, you know, animal to to just slowly get further and further away from the pack, and then that's when he strikes. Okay, that's the same thing the devil wants to do. He wants you to feel isolated, even at church. Oh, you're not like those people. They're different. They're weird. You're, you're special you're, or you're weird and they're normal or whatever it is. He wants to isolate us to get us away from the pack, to get us out of the body of Christ so that he can pick us off one by one. That's why it's important to be a part of church on a weekly basis, to, to go to city group when there is city group so that you don't get isolated. And know this, the devil will throw everything at you. Traffic is intense on a Thursday and Friday night. All of a sudden it's worse, right? Your boss wants you to work extra, whatever it is. He's going to do everything he can to keep you from coming and being a part. That's why we got to fight it. That's why the, it's called the good fight of faith. Amen. The last one is this marriage is the basis for family. In as much as there is an attack on biblical marriage, there's a much more concerted attack on the family and on generations, passing the gospel down to generation to generation. The devil does not want our faith to be passed on to our children. That's why there's abortion. That's why there's animals being placed on pedestals above children, right? These are my fur babies. They're not fur babies. You're not the mother of that dog. You did not birth that animal. Can I be real this morning? You know what I mean? And these are, these are things that we commonly hear in our generation and on media and all these different things. And it's a very subtle thing. Oh, this is my daughter. No, this is a dog. Okay. It's not your daughter. And if you did give birth to that daughter, there's a lot more questions I have along those lines, right? Like this is weird. Okay. Let's talk, you know, but these are the ideas that these things that children are a bother. They're a pain. They cost too much. I think the average cost for a children is, you know, something like $200,000. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't, I can't afford that. No, you can't not afford to have children. Children are our heritage. The Bible says that children are a gift from the Lord. Did you know that? I've got three little gifts. If you want a gift from God, get married, have kids. They're three little gifts. I cannot imagine our life without those little kids in there. They're so much fun. They're weird. They smell all sorts of great stuff, right? They're a gift from the Lord. From the beginning, God said to mankind, be fruitful and multiply, right? How do you multiply? By having children. He also says this. Little, he says, Jesus says, let the little children come to me. And in the, in the Proverbs, it says, blessed are the Psalms. Blessed is the man whose house is full of children. Not just one. That's good. Have one. Good. Good start. Two and three and four. Fill your house with children. Maybe you only want to have one. Adopt some more. Whatever it is. Think about this. He also says this. He created us in the womb. God knew about us, not only from before the foundations of the earth, 
But while we were in our mother's womb, God knew about us. He was creating us, forming us, planning, thinking about us, loving us from the get-go. Amen. And uh, just let that word speak to you. If you've had a negative view of marriage or a negative view of family, I think we need to take a moment and just just even repent together and, and pray together this morning because, and, and we don't do this very often, but I believe that there is a very concerted attack on our generation, on millennials, uh, to really to not think marriage is a good thing and not think family is a good thing. And I want to give you what the word says. And the word is always right. And the word is always good. And God is saying, when he saw man and woman come together, he says, that is good. He said, it's not good that they're alone, but when they come together, it is good. And then Jesus says, what what God has joined together, let not man tear apart. And so we don't want to be torn apart by the ideology or the ideas of mankind, but we want to base our life on the theologies of the word of God. Amen. Amen. So let's just take a minute and let's just pray uh, just for our city, which is, you know, largely single and largely lonely and pray for our generation to have this revelation. So let's just pray. Father, we just thank you today for your word, which is living and sharper and powerful. And I thank you, God, that it's always opening our eyes and it's always Lord, bringing us to a place of greater revelation. And today, God, we come on behalf of our generation, on behalf of our city, God, and we say, would you forgive us for not having your views on marriage? and your views on family. And today, God, if there's been anything within us that has kept us from moving forward towards marriage or having a negative view of marriage, God, we just lay those by the wayside and we hear what your word says, which that God ordained it from the beginning. It's not good for us to be alone. Lord, you declared it good. And so we take on that perspective today. We take on that perspective about marriage. We take on that perspective about family and children. Lord, even if we didn't have a good marriage or we didn't have a good parents or Good families, God, we, we, we reject those and we look to the word of God and say, Lord, I can be the first in my family to have a good marriage and to have great children according to the word of the Lord. And everybody who believed that said, Amen. Amen. While we're doing unusual things, I want to do this. I have a gift card of $25 up here, right? Now, here's the thing. The first person who could come up here and give me all three definitions of what faith is, I will gift them this gift card. First, just so just come right up here right now. <clears throat> I will not wait. Come on, who can do it? Don't be afraid. Do not be scared, as the kids are saying these days. Scared. <clears throat> come on, anybody. Come on, there you go. There we go. Let's give it up for Derek. <clears throat> All right. Well, you got you to get it. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have faith in me? Jeez. I do. <laughs> Believing in speaking the title deed yes. and it's active yes. yes come on give it up for Derek come on there you go next time you can win and now Derek can take Dale out for dinner or whatever <clears throat> McDonald's <laughs> this morning amen this morning I want to get into increasing our faith and I've said this a couple times faith is like a muscle right and we've been repeating these things, a.k.a. hammering these things home so that they go beyond our brains and into our hearts, okay? So when I say faith is like a muscle, you say, I know, you already told me that, but today we're going to kind of talk about why this is an important concept, okay? So what I want to do is I want to look at a couple of scriptures. We're going to put them on the screen here. The first one is this, 2 Corinthians 10, 15, and 16. It says, nor do we boast and claim credit for the work someone else has done. Instead, we hope that your faith will grow so that the boundaries of our work among you will be extended. 
Then we'll be able to go and preach the good news in other places far beyond you where no one else is working. Then there will be no question of our boasting about work done in someone else's territory. The next one, Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again for your word. I pray today, Lord, as the word goes out, our faith will be built up. As we hear the word, God, you would increase faith. We'd grow. We'd be strengthened. And the word of God would go far beyond the borders of this building and this in our lives, in this city, et cetera, et cetera. God, I pray that you bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The first thing I want to establish is faith is like a muscle. Say that. Okay, now flex a, mu- a muscle in your body if you have any. Okay, <clears throat> right? You've got, we all got muscles. Even if we don't work out, we all have muscles, right? That's how we stand up straight. That's how we sit down and stand up, all these different things. The thing is, though, we can have muscle atrophy, which is basically deterioration or muscle loss, right? It happens when there's lack of physical activity, okay? It also happens as you get older or if you suffered an injury or you've got disease, all these things that kind of cause us to be inactive. What happens is these muscles begin to deteriorate, right? So we have to be active, with our muscles, right? Even just, you know, doing a couple push-ups every day or, you know what I mean, even going on a, a walk during the day, all these different things, they help us keep our muscles from deteriorating. So faith is like a muscle. And my question to you is, how active have you been with your faith? Just like inactivity with your muscles, you cannot go from never bench pressing to just bench pressing 300 pounds. Okay, just so you know, don't try that. You'll squish yourself. And then you'll be on the fail videos that they always have. The gym fails. <laughs> you know, and the guy folds in half. You know, if our faith has been inactive, then it should come as no surprise that you can't go from not believing God for anything to raising your grandma from the dead. Right? Same kind of concept. You can't go from zero to 300 pounds or, you know what I mean, never praying, never talking, never reading, and then all of a sudden, I'll heal the sick right now. That's great. That's great faith and great hope and motivation. But the chances of you going from zero to 300 are very, very small. I don't want to bring doubt into your life, but the idea is that we want to begin to work incrementally to grow this muscle of faith. Even if you, when you look at the lives of Jesus, his disciples, he was very deliberate all along the way, testing their faith, seeing how their faith was strengthened, right? He didn't just go and say, look, let's go raise Lazarus from the dead and see how that goes. No, he was like, hey guys, if you do this, if you follow me, then you'll begin to understand. And they were like, okay, the first step of faith is following Jesus, right? And then they're going and they're seeing Jesus laying hands on people and seeing them sick and healed. And then they, Jesus says, now you go and do it. And they would go out and do it. And then sometimes they couldn't do it and Jesus says it's because of your lack of faith so we see that Jesus was constantly stretching and encouraging the disciples to move and put more spiritual weight onto the bar of life right same thing with us is that we have to continually grow continually stretch our faith let it be active amen so then the question is how do we increase our faith before we get to how do we increase our faith I want to just talk about why should we want to increase our faith In that verse that we had in 2 Corinthians, it says, Paul says, we want, and really God wants, our faith to grow. He says, we hope that your faith will grow so that the boundaries of our work among you will be extended. God wants our faith to grow because as our faith grows, the work of our faith grows. And we'll talk about this maybe later on, but faith without works is, does anybody know the answer? Is dead. 
So you can have all the faith you want. Yeah, but if it's inside of you and does nothing, it's dead. So we have to have our faith and then actually apply it to something. And so what is that something? It's the extension of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, that our faith in Christ should begin to bleed and grow into going into other people's lives and realize this is my faith and now I'm believing for somebody else to get saved. I'm saved, great. Now let's work on somebody else. Let's lead somebody else to Jesus. Are you with me? Okay, you got seven amens and I haven't heard any so far. Okay, we have two core values at City of God and one of them is sustainability and the other one is generosity. Sustainability has to do with us. It's our capacity. It's our ability. It's us budgeting our time and our resources and energy. And for all intents and purposes, it's focused very inwardly or very singly on us, right? God desires that every single one of us become sustainable. Sustainable in our work schedules, sustainable in our finances, sustainable in our relationships. He wants us to basically bring order into our life so that we're not running pillar to post, hoping that something will nail and get right. He wants us to bring sustainability. We define sustainability very simply, a lifelong lifestyle. Can you keep your current pace for the rest of your life every single day? And if you say no, then there's adjustments that need to be made. Now, there's times and seasons when things are busy, and you've got to be aware of that. But if you constantly live in a busy, 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 busy season, you'll get burnt out. If you constantly live in a season where you're spending and spending and spending and having no money come in, you'll be $13 trillion in debt. That's what America's national debt is, in case you're wondering. At the same time of us being sustainable... God also wants us to move into generosity, okay? He desires that we stretch outside of ourselves and live a life of generous, generosity and becoming generous. And, and I want to say this, and, and don't get offended, but too many of us, us, are just focused on sustainability, ourselves are inwardly, and we're not looking at the bigger picture, okay? The bigger picture is that Los Angeles is in desperate need of Jesus, and if we're just focused on, uh, you know, our thing and, and getting our lives in order and, and, and growing our careers and all these things, and all these are important. I'm not saying that's the sustainability side. But if we're only focused on ourselves, then the gospel will not be extended. And even as we live, we will not be generous. So we want to live sustainably and generously. And in fact, you cannot be generous without first being sustainable to some degree, right? You should not give out money that you don't have, right? You have to have money to be able to give. You have to have time to be able to give it. So when we find sustainability, we find that sustainability enables us to become generous. We cannot just remain in sustainability or only remain in generosity. We've got to bring the both together and be sustainable and generous, are you with me? Okay. We need to get our eyes off ourselves. You know, our shame. We don't want to tell anybody or be offended, offend anybody at work about, you know, because we don't want to share the gospel or whatever, or our desire to be accepted or, or, or get a little uncomfortable. We have to become generous and we have to let people know that there is a life that is abundant and free and, and, and great and gracious. And that can only be found in Jesus. Sustainability is good. Generosity is better. It's our dream that we don't want to meet in this building for the rest of our lives. We want to grow. We have a dream that people could walk to church, to City of God in L.A., 
And there'd be so many of us becoming generous with our words and our time and our love and our grace and our finances and, and everything out there. We're so generous that there would be locations all over the city where people could just walk and they'd been affected because our faith right here in this room had gone beyond even our borders and even our borders' borders. Of, well, I can't even fathom how great that would be. But our, our faith has extended it beyond it. Yeah. Amen. The gospel needs to go to the ends of the world. That's the commission that Jesus gave us. And we, we want to, we know we can build a sustainable church here, but we want to build a church that goes out of these walls. Think about a country you like. Okay, got a picture of your mind? Maybe it's Bali or Italy or wherever it is. Or, you know what I mean? Now imagine that you helped plant a church in that country. Wouldn't that be awesome? Because your faith went beyond just what you can see right here, but your faith went to go plant a church in another country, in another city, in another town, where people who'd never even met you, but because your faith believed and your faith was stretched, they were now being saved and healed and growing and sustainable and generous, etc., because it started here. And we want that faith to extend beyond our borders. And that's why our faith needs to increase. If we don't stretch our muscles on our body, Every, you know, I mean, on a regular basis, we will lose 2% of our muscle mass every single year just by not stretching. Think about how much you lose in your faith just by not stretching it, by not believing for something more, by not having another, another reason to go for it and say, God, I believe for this. We've got to let our faith, our faith grow and stretch. Amen? Amen. A turtle never moves until he sticks his neck out of his shell. And that's sometimes the world wants us to be like the turtle, right? Get in this, get in the shell. Don't come out. You're safe in the shell. Everything's all right. But God wants us to, you know, stick that little turtle head out and start. <laughs> that didn't come out. He wants us to stick our head head out of the shell and start moving forward, right? And he will not move as long as his head is in that shell. So we're not like ostriches who stick their head in the ground like the cartoons or the turtles who hide in our shell. We're believers, and we can stretch our faith to believe that God is going to move us forward. Amen? Amen. So I want to give you four ways to grow your faith. Number one, faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. It's one of my favorite verses of all times, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. One of my favorite preachers, he just said, faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing by the word of God, which is why we say, hey, get on the daily Bible reading plan. Download the City of God app. It's got the daily Bible reading plan right in there, and you can just pick it up and hear the word of God every day. You want your faith to grow. You want your faith to stretch. Hear the word of God over and over. It's not just hearing anything. Specifically, it's hearing God's word. We've got to hear God's word. It's about hearing about Jesus, hearing about the works that he did will build our faith, seeing his life and that he's an example of us. That'll stretch our faith to what we can believe for. Amen. Amen. The next thing, your faith will grow when there's a need. Now, a need can come from anywhere. A need can even come from God. God can put a need in our life to draw us towards him. What are some needs in your life? Stretch your faith to believe that God wants to meet those needs. That when in the Old Testament you see that God comes and he says to Moses, he says, I am who I am. Now, previously, if you wanted your crops to grow, you had to have a crop God. 
And if you wanted the crops to be watered, you had to pray to the rain God. And if you wanted your, you know, your pork to grow, then you had, you know, you have a pork God. And God says, no, I am who I am. I'm all that. All you got to do is come to me because I want to meet all of your needs. I want to give you the rain. I want to give you the crops, not the pork, obviously, because they have cloven hooves and they chew cud and things like that. Those are Old Testament rituals in case you're wondering. He says, but you can have everything else. You know what I mean? He wants us to come to him and all of our needs, God wants to meet them. That's a good place to say amen. Because every single one of us has needs, right? Maybe you need friends. Start praying to God. God, what should I do? How can I, how can I have more friends? <clears throat> and the Bible even says, if you want friends, you've got to show yourself as friendly. So you can't be a turtle in a shell and expect to have lots of friends, right? Who's out there? Do you want to be my friend? You know, who's saying that? Oh, this little turtle. Stick your head out so we can talk, right? Same thing. You've got to show yourself friendly when the Word can answer all of our needs and God wants to meet those needs. Amen. Amen. Think about this. It gives God great pleasure to see you and I blessed. It makes the devil mad when we are blessed. So according to that logic and based on that knowledge, who do you think is withholding the blessing in your life? Right? It's not God. It's the devil. And we have this mentality that we're not good enough and you know we did something wrong. And to some degree, yes. But once we accept Jesus Christ, we're now good enough. And God wants to bless us. And he wants to meet our needs. We have to believe that. Have faith that God really does actually want to help us out. That he's not up there with a, you know, a lightning bolt gun. And as soon as you do something bad, this is got him. This is got him. You know, this is got him. He's bad again. This is, oh, he was good. Oh, let the traffic be lighter today. No, God wants to bless us. He wants to meet our needs. But we have to believe. We have to stretch our faith. There's a story in the Old Testament of a, a widow, and she's got nothing. And a, they're in the middle of a famine, and Elijah the prophet comes through town, and he's like, look, is there a place to stay? She's like, oh, yeah, you can stay in my house. He's like, good. Do you have any food? And she says, well, <clears throat> actually, I was just about to make a cake for me and my son, and then we were going to die. Not a very happy testimony there, right? <laughs> like, oh, okay, thanks. He's like, well, tell you what, why don't you make me a cake first? Now, if, if, if we're sustainable, <clears throat> what is our answer to that? No. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat first and you can die for here. But if we're generous, we'll listen to what the Word of God says, right? And so she says, okay, you got a deal. And he goes, but first, <clears throat> I want you to get as many pots as you can. She's like, okay. So she goes and gets all these pots. And he goes, now go, and I want you to pour the oil in them. And as she did that, the oil never run out in the middle of a famine. And she had all these pots of oil. And the, what, what was happening here was Elijah was showing her that not only did God want to meet their needs, there's no limit to his resources. He says, look, if you want oil, I've got oil. I was reading even this week, and God was talking about the promised land and, and uh, the wilderness. And at one point, Israel cried out, we need some meat. We're tired of manna. And God got kind of mad because he was like, this is really good food here, guys. He goes, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to bring you some quail. But God says this, this is kind of funny. He says, I'm not just going to bring you some quail. I'm going to bring you so much quail, it's going to come out your nostrils. So you can see that God's got a sense of humor, right? And the next thing you know, Israel's there and it says a wind rushed in. And all of a sudden quail came from everywhere and the people couldn't contain it. God wants to not only meet our need, he wants to go above and beyond all of our needs. There's no limit to his resources. 
Amen? <clears throat> Amen. If you don't have a need, you'll never stretch your faith. Don't resent need. Look at need as an opportunity to stretch our faith. Third thing, we stretch our faith with dreams and visions. What's your dream? Can you achieve it by yourself? Or does it require God's intervention? If you can do it by yourself, it won't require faith, right? Just like if, we're, if we can see it, we don't need faith for it. But the things we don't see, those are the things that require our faith. Maybe you've heard people say this, if your dream doesn't scare you, it's too small. Now, I don't really think that's sound theology and I understand the sentiment, but God's told us not to be afraid, right? And so he says this over and over again, getting into the promised land, which was their dream. He says, I don't want you. It was, a, it was a combination of fear and doubt that actually kept them out of the promised land. So God doesn't want us to be afraid of our dream. What he really wants is he wants us to stretch our faith, to believe that it's only by God that this is going to come to pass. Amen. So you don't have to be afraid of your dream. Like some people say, if your dream doesn't scare you, it's not big. No, no, it, it doesn't scare me. I just realized I can't do this by myself, so I'm going to have to have some serious divine intervention by the grace of God to accomplish that dream. Let God give you a dream. In fact, ask him for a dream. The language of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us is dreams and visions. He wants to speak to us and show us the plan that he has for us and how awesome it is. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you don't have a picture of where you want to go, you'll never stretch your faith. And one of the greatest uh, fulfillments in life is seeing a dream fulfilled. Not just having a dream, but seeing it come to pass. And we want to have that by the grace of God. Last one here. We grow our faith with a seed. Remember, generosity is greater than sustainability. And thank God we have a Savior who cares about both of these in our lives. He doesn't just want us to be sustainable, but he wants us to go to generosity. We even see if Jesus had just been sustainable, he wouldn't have gone to the cross, right? He would have lived on forever. But he showed us true generosity by giving the ultimate sacrifice and laying down everything he had, which was himself, so that we could have relationship with him. Amen? God doesn't demand us to do the same thing. But he says, I want you to have faith. I want you to believe. I want you to be ready to give. Listen to this verse out of 2 Corinthians 9.10. This is the, the message version. It says, that this most generous God who gives seed to the farmer, or the farmer, God gives us seed, that becomes bread for our meals, okay? So God is the one who gives us the seed. The seed not only pays for our meals, but it also does this, is more extravagant with you. He gives you something you can then give away. So God gives us stuff so that we can give it away. He put it like this to Abraham. You are blessed to be a blessing. Not blessed to be rich, blessed to be a blessing. That we have these finances and an abundance of them to be able to generously give out. And I'll say this. If you say, I'll give when I win the lotto, that means you'll never give. Even when you win the lotto. We start by incrementally giving because it's stretching our faith. There was a, when we were a part of a church in Seattle, I saw the check. The guy gave a million dollars to the church. Now, he didn't start, he didn't go from zero to a million. He started by giving five and then maybe a hundred and then maybe a thousand and then one point ten thousand was a massive thing. I'm going to give ten thousand and honey, are you with me? Blah, blah, blah. And then at one point they were able to write a million dollar check. 
Now, you don't write a million-dollar check if you've got a million dollars in your bank account, unless you're, God tells you to do and you do it, and that's awesome, and according to your faith, let it be so. But you write a million-dollar check because you've probably got several million dollars in your bank account, right? We've got to begin to stretch our faith. How awesome would it be to write, think of a big number in your own head, that you've got enough finances that you can give out generously, and you realize No, you know what? When I give this out, I know something even greater is going to come back because God knows, God says, don't be, I will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows that he will reap. Amen. Amen. The verse goes on. He gives you something you can then give away, which grows into full formed lives. I didn't have that. That was in there. Into full formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way so that you can be generous in every way. We're wealthy in every way so that we can be generous in every way. That's what we call being fully formed. Having abundance in every aspect of our life. Where are you not abundant? Go and ask God to meet those needs. God, I want to be not just sustainable. I want to be generous. I want to be abundant in this area of my life and he'll provide it. This last verse here. God, as we said in this in Second Corinthians 9.10, God is the one who gives the seed. In First Chronicles 4.10, there's this guy named Jabez, and his name literally means pain. And so he says this, Oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. And then the best part about this is this, the verse that comes after it says, And God granted him his request. He says, God bless me expand my territory. That's what we're talking about. Our faith would enlarge. It would go beyond our borders. It would extend beyond our territory that we have right now. Please be with me in all that I do. Keep me from trouble and pain. And then God says, you know what? I like that prayer. And it says he granted him that prayer. He granted him his request. There's nothing wrong with asking God to bless you. There's nothing wrong with asking God to expand you. Right? That's a really good place to say amen. But we're blessed to be a blessing. We're not asking necessarily for ourselves, though we are asking, Lord, I need you to bless me because I want to expand and I want to grow and I want to reach others. We're blessed to be a blessing. We're to be generous, but our faith has to be stretched to see that God uses us to be generous to others. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we close this morning. Jesus didn't go through all that he did so that we could not reach people all over the world. He did it so that we can extend that gospel and let people know there's good news. Maybe there's somebody at your workplace. Maybe it's a friend or whatever. We need to move into that realm of generosity where we're saying, you know what? I don't want to just keep what I have to myself. I want it to go into all the world. I want it to go into all the world here in my workplace, all the, all the world here with my friends and my relationships. I don't want to withhold. I want to be generous, not just sustainable, but I want to be generous in everything that I do. Amen. Let me just read this last verse and then we'll pray. Second thought, Thessalonians 1.3. Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one, or, for one another is growing. And if you want a faith that is flourishing and generous and growing, let's just lift up our hands. And I want to pray for us today that our faith would be growing and that we would continue to increase our faith.